You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we are continuing our series called Much Fruit. And this is all about the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not just about producing fruit. As we talked about last week, uh, every one of us produces fruit in our lives. And some of us are producing bad fruit, and this is fruit of the flesh. Some of us are producing fruit of the Spirit, and that's good fruit. And so what we need to do is identify what kind of fruit are we producing. Um, Because God wants us to produce good fruit, not the fruit that's produced from our nature, but God's nature in us. But it's not enough to produce good fruit. God wants us to produce much fruit. That's his desire for our lives, as we'll see in John chapter 15. This is what it says. This is Jesus talking. He says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When we produce much fruit, it's evidence of our discipleship that we're actually following Jesus, but it's also bringing glory. It's a tool to bring glory to God. It's really important that we produce much fruit. In Galatians chapter five, verse 22, is our key verse for this series, and it says this, but the Holy Spirit, Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And what Paul is telling the Galatian church is that this is evidence that we are connected to, to Christ. That as we stay connected to Christ, this is what is produced in our lives. And if this isn't being produced in our lives, then that's actually evidence that we're not connected to Christ. And so this should be sobering for us as we look at this and say, is this in fact being produced in my life? Is my life showing evidence of this fruit in one way or the other? So today we're gonna start with the fruit of the spirit of of love. And when I talk about love, it's easy for us to go, "I, I got it, I know what love is. We hear about love all the time. But love is deeply subjective. Love does not mean the same thing to every person. It is different. Um, I've talked to many people and they have an idea of what they think love is. I've talked to to teenagers, 12, 13 years old, that are like, I'm in love. And then they get offended when you go, I I don't, I'm not positive that you actually are in love. And they're like, you don't know how I feel. I'm in love. Like, I'm pretty sure you're not, right? You're not. you're in the seventh grade, you're not gonna marry this person probably, right? Um, But they think they're in love. I've talked to grown adults who think they have an idea of what love is, but it's it's not, it's subjective. It's a broken version of what love actually is because I've talked to people who will say things like, um, Mel, my boyfriend loves me. And I'll say, but you just told me that he's abusive. Well, yes, but you don't know, he really does love me. And I'll say, well, 
I don't think he does because if he loved you, he wouldn't be abusive. See, the, the evidence of who he is is borne out in his actions. We'll see this again in just a moment. So love can be deeply subjective if we're not careful. So what is the objective standard? And I think we have an objective standard. We find it in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, even if you're not a Christian, even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. Because if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. They love 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings. I'll do weddings. And I'll be like, do you have any scripture? You Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13. All right, we can do that, that's fine. That's no problem. So I'm gonna read this to you, but I wanna give you context for what it actually is. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're gonna start in verse one. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church and the church was, it was jacked up. It was a mess. It was having issues, it was having problems. Um, they were having difficulties in their services. Like they would gather for corporate worship and, and just things were going on that shouldn't be going on. And so Paul was bringing correction to the church. And so this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So let me stop right there and just say this. Paul was addressing abuses of the spiritual gifts in the, in the corporate worship setting. So what was happening is they were coming together and people were giving messages in tongues. And what Paul's trying to do is help them prioritize what's really important. Not that he's saying the gifts of the Spirit are not important, but he's saying they are not as important as love is. And so what Paul says, again, he's addressing the church. So we think about 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of romantic love, husbands and wives. But I want you to understand, Paul did not address that directly. He was talking about how we relate to each other in the context of friendships and um, being brothers and sisters in Christ in the church together. How do we relate to each other in the context of worship? And so Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he says, if, if all I do is pray in the spirit or I give this message in an unknown language in a corporate worship setting. He says, that's fine, but if I don't love, he says, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So my girls are older now. Um, my oldest, Abby, is here on the front row. Hi, Abby. Um, my youngest, Emma, is there in Blairsville with you guys today. Um, 20 and 17. So they're beyond this phase. Some of you are still in a phase. Some of you remember the phase. Some of you are going to be in a phase that, that I call junior high band performances. Does anybody remember junior high band performances? They're not awesome. <laughs> they are rough. You remember when your child comes home and says, we've got a band concert on and you hear it and you're like, oh God, do I not have anything else I can be doing that day besides going to this band concert? Because we've got some music teachers in our church and I love you music teachers, this isn't your fault. Your students stink, <laughs> they are not good. When you go watch sixth graders perform music, this is the thing, you're not going to see um, <laughs> Sir John Williams 
conduct the London Symphony Orchestra. That is not what you're going to see. It is almost as if the conductor, the, the band teacher gives every student a different piece of music. And he says, we're all gonna play this at the same time. That's what it feels like sometimes because it is rough. And then afterwards, you become a liar because afterwards you see your child and your child's like, how was I? And you're like, you were so good. You are lying to them. You didn't even hear them. You couldn't hear them over all the noise. It was just people playing. And, and hopefully you can kind of recognize the music. You're like, oh yeah, 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 that's Jingle Bells. Like, oh no, no, that's not Jingle Bells. I don't know what this song is, right? This is what Paul says. He says, no matter how many spiritual gifts I have and operate in, if I operate outside a spirit of love, then I'm no better than a middle school band concert. It's just noise. He goes on to say this. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but has not love, I am nothing. He says, no matter what spiritual gifts might be at work in my life, I might have prophetic abilities. The Spirit gives me prophetic abilities to, to discern and see things in the supernatural that are otherwise invisible to us. He says, I, I might have the ability to, to, to have a word of knowledge or something for someone. It's great. There's nothing wrong with that. says, I might have faith to move a mountain. That'd be something to behold, wouldn't it? If I said, hey, everybody, next Sunday, come to church, I'm gonna move a mountain. And then I just moved it. It was like a David Copperfield trick, David Blaine. I just moved the mountain by faith. Like, you'd probably invite some friends to church. You'd be like, you need to come check this out. But this is what Paul says. He says, it doesn't matter what spiritual gifts I operate in. It doesn't matter how powerful I am, how powerfully God uses me. If I don't have love, I am nothing is what he says, nothing. He says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He said, it doesn't matter how sacrificial I am. I can give away everything I have as a means to God. I can literally set myself on fire and be burned as a human sacrifice. But if I don't have love, then I don't gain anything at all. And what he's saying is love is the most important thing in our lives. It's primary. It's important. And then he lays out for us what love actually is. And he says this in verse four, love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I wanna remind you, he's not talking about romantic love here. He's talking about how we relate to each other in the church that our default response to people in the church and the people we come into contact with should be love. And then he defines what kind of love we're talking about because it is not some subjective standard that we have. It is not something that comes with all these stipulations or clauses where we go, well, I'm gonna love them, but only if they love me. I'm gonna love them as long as they meet these certain standards. I actually had somebody after our last service say, I've been to churches that that's how they love people. And she said, 
that is not how this church loves. I feel so loved here and I'm so grateful to hear that because many people walk into churches and the churches have the standard where they go, well, hey, we're gonna love you if you look exactly like us and think exactly like us. If you dress exactly like us and fit into what we want, then we'll love you well. And some of us have this, this standard in our own lives. Well, I'll love a wife as long as she does everything exactly the way I want her to. Well, I'll love a man as long as he does everything exactly if he's not perfect. I'm not saying you shouldn't have high standards for a spouse. You should. We have these standards with coworkers. We have these standards with all kinds of people. And what we need to understand is they're human beings. And my responsibility isn't to fix them. My responsibility is to love them. Because we understand that love is patient and kind in the context of marriage, but did you know it should be patient and kind in the context of work? <laughs> that you shouldn't be envious or boastful of your friends on social media? You shouldn't be arrogant or rude? And it's easy to go, well, sometimes love is rude. I mean, I'm rude sometimes and I'm loving, so surely love is rude sometimes. No, it's not. Love is not rude. Even with people that you feel like being rude to. Love isn't rude. So this is an objective standard for us in our lives. When it comes to the people around us, when it comes to our intimate relationships, when it comes to our friendships, when it comes to people who don't even like us, this is the objective standard for love. John chapter 14. Jesus says this, verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandment. If you love me, obey my commandments. So what he's saying essentially is obedience to Jesus reveals my affection for Jesus. That I can say, I love Jesus. In fact, most people that go to church today all across our country, if you polled them and said, do you love Jesus? Most of them would be like, yeah, I love Jesus. Of course I love Jesus. <laughs> the evidence for that is not a feeling, well, I feel like I love Jesus, so I must love Jesus. The evidence of our affection for Jesus is our obedience to his commandments. Because if I'm not obedient to what he's commanded me to do, I don't really love him. It doesn't matter what I say, it matters what I do. My action is what matters. If you were married and your spouse continually cheated on you, but you're the only one I love. No, 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 but I love you. You would say, your actions don't indicate that you actually do love me, do they? Your actions indicate that you don't love me. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. We don't cherry pick the commands either. We don't go, this one's easy, this one's com uh, comfortable, convenient. We say, if Jesus said it, it is the standard for my life. This goes back to what we talked about last week in Matthew 7. You will know them by their actions. Jesus said that. He said, hey, just like you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it puts out, you know an apple tree is an apple tree because it has apples. And he says, you know people by their actions. And I hear people all the time say, well, you don't judge others. Don't judge, don't judge. And what we're saying here is, well, you can judge based on their actions. You know what is being produced so that is telling you where the production comes from. So you show me somebody's actions and I can give you a pretty good idea about their heart. 
And I talk to people all the time that are like, well, yeah, I do this and yeah, I do that, but God knows my heart. I'm like, yeah, he does know your heart, but maybe you don't know your heart. Because a heart that is producing these kind of actions is a mess. If we're producing the wrong kinds of things, if we're producing fruit of the flesh, then that means our hearts are wrong and we have deceived ourselves into thinking we're okay. So if, if I'm not obedient to what Jesus has told me to do, then it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter how often I come to church, my actions and my heart aren't in alignment. Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 22, what is the greatest commandment? And his response is this, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And I love this passage because what Jesus does is he, he distills down over 630 Jewish laws into these two things. And he says, here's what you need to do. We make this too difficult. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what he's saying is, with every bit of your capacity, with everything you've got, love God. We love God in an unrestrained, unbridled, uninhibited way, that everything in us is for God and chasing after God. And this is a tough standard. This is hard for us, because we think we are, because we're like, well, I go to church once in a while. I'm chasing after God. But I think what, what Jesus is describing here is different than what we think of. And what Jesus says is, hey, love the Lord God with everything you are. He, he's not a wedge in the pie. He's the whole pie. That he's not something you fit into your schedule if you have some time. He, he dominates your schedule. That he is first and foremost and everything else fits around it that he is first in our affections, he's first in our hearts. We love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. So he said, this is the first in order, but it's also the most important. And we'll see this because then he says, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is really hard too. Because we hear this and we go, but I don't like them very much, right? I like me, I don't like them. So I don't wanna love them as much as I love me. I get it, I'm a pastor and it's really hard for me to love some people sometimes. I, in fact, I'll tell you this, I don't have the ability to love people the way God wants me to love them. I'm incapable. Some of you have been trying this for years. You've got a neighbor, you've got a coworker, you've got somebody who maybe has hurt you. You've got somebody who maybe has victimized you. And you don't want to love them. You don't want to forgive them. You can't, you can't love them because of the unforgiveness you carry toward them. You've got bitterness toward them. And you will know, I, I, I don't have to love them because they're bad people. You actually do. See, I, I'm not required as a believer just to love people who love me. It would be way better if it was. Uh, my life would be easier if it was. Uh, but we're supposed to love everyone with the standard that we're talking about. Did you know even the world loves people who loves them? It's easy to love people who love me. The people who love me, they're some of my favorite people. I love the people who love me. 
My mom thinks I'm fantastic. I don't struggle to love my mama. She thinks I'm a wonderful preacher and I'm a delightful young man. I'm a snappy dresser and I've got this strange Grizzly Adams quality, the, the good looks, I don't know. But she thinks I'm great. It is so easy for me to love my mama. I don't have to work on it. I have to, God help me love my mom today. I don't have to pray about it. It's easy because she loves me. My mother-in-law is fantastic. She loves me. She thinks I'm great. Don't tell her otherwise. I don't want her to find out. It's so easy for me to love my mother-in-law because she loves me. My girls, my wife, it's easy to love these. Mostly it's easy to love my girls, but usually it's really easy. But you get what I'm saying, but the person at work who makes your life miserable, it's hard to love them. But this is what the world does. They love who loves them. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're countercultural. We don't just love people who love us. We love everybody. And we don't just kind of love them. We don't just say we love them. We actually love them with the, this standard that we find in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's interesting because when we look at that standard, the first two things that we see in that standard, patient and kind, are also fruits of the Spirit. So it's almost as if what we're seeing is God saying, hey, the most important thing you can do is love the people around you. And the only way you're gonna actually love the people around you is if I empower you to love the people around you. Because there are some people you are incapable of loving well unless God empowers you to love them well. You can't. This is why the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second commandment is love your neighbors yourself because these two things are related. I'm only capable of loving my neighbor as myself when I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind. When I am all in with God, when I love God with my entire capacity, that's when God says, okay, hey, I'm gonna help you love the way I love now. Hey, and your ex-spouse, hey, your boss at work, hey, the person who hurt you and betrayed you, I'm gonna help you love them. It doesn't mean you have to reconcile with them. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but, but God commands us to forgive. So God empowers us by his love to begin to forgive people who have hurt us so that we can love them with the love of God. We can't do it on our own. We need God to help us do it. It's required. Because you've tried it on your own, you can't do it. I've tried it, I can't do it. But it happens when we love God really well. So I just wanna take a couple minutes and share a couple verses with you from 1 John chapter four. And 1 John chapter four um, talks a great deal about love. And I just wanna share a couple key verses with you so I'm gonna start in verse seven. It says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. So John says here, he makes this very clear that if I don't love, I don't know God. That the key to loving is knowing God and loving God. When I love God, God increases my capacity to love others. I actually love people better when I love God. When I love God, I love my wife better. When I love God, I love my girls better. When I love God, I love this church better. When I love God, I love my enemy better. But I will tell you this too. 
Um, I can check my heart. If I find myself struggling to love others well, it's probably because there's distance in my relationship with God. I've neglected my relationship with God to some degree because those two relationships are intimately connected. When I am walking with Christ and I am connected to God, my relationships all around me get better. When this relationship is healthy, these relationships are healthy. When these relationships are unhealthy, this relationship is unhealthy. So I have to understand that these two are connected. And I can say, hey, God, I love you. You've got me, God, I'm yours. But if I have problems with people, I've got problems with God. And the same is true the other way. If I've got problems with with God, I've got problems with people because I can't love them the way they deserve, the way they need to be loved. If I don't love God well, (laughs) if I was talking to you and you said, Mel, I really love you, but I'm not crazy about your wife. I'd be like, well, we got problems, right? Man, Kim, she's the worst. Don't you get sick of hearing that all the time, people? Just, I'm just kidding. She, I never hear anybody say she's the worst, by the way. Uh, she hears that about me, I'm sure. I never hear that about her. But if you had a problem with Kim, you got a problem with me. Why? Because you can't hate who I love and still maintain a healthy relationship with me. If you said, your girls are terrible, I can't stand them. Be like, well, we got problems. Because you can't have a problem with somebody I love and not have a problem with me. And this is the way we need to understand our Heavenly Father approaches it. If we have unforgiveness and bitterness toward his kids, toward people he loves, even if they're not a good person, I want you to understand this, there's still someone that Jesus died for and someone Jesus loves. So when I approach God, I'm like, God, I love you so much, but I just hate these people. God's like, well, you got a problem with me. Because scripture indicates that there is a correlation between how we forgive others and how we are forgiven. That I actually hinder my own forgiveness in relationship with God when I refuse to forgive those who have hurt me. So we need to understand that anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. If I don't love and I don't love well, I don't really know God. Because if I really know God, then I really know how God loves me. And if I know how God loves me, it makes it really hard for me not to love people, even if they're not very lovable. Verse nine says this, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And this is what he says. He says, The love that God showed us is real love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, hey, this is going to cost me something, but I'm gonna put the needs of the other above myself. This is what real love is. It is sacrificing for the good of someone else. This is one of the reasons why I think it's so awesome that we had uh, first responders today that we were able to honor because they are putting the needs of others above themselves. And this is what real love is. Goes on to say in verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And when we understand how we've been loved, it should be a catalyst in our own hearts to love others. The problem is we don't understand how much we're loved by God. And as a result, we tend to love others to the amount that we feel like they deserve it. 
But when we understand how loved we are by God, it makes it easier for us to love others. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we can love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I love this line. If we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. Now think about this. When um, Valentine's Day rolls around and you give your special person a Valentine, you, you write a nice card in it, you give them chocolates, whatever it is you do for your Valentine, whatever it is, what you're doing is expressing love to them. You're saying, I want to communicate how I feel about you. When you do the dishes for your wife, when you, uh, wives, you support your husbands in whatever way that is to show him that you love him. What you're doing is you're expressing how you feel. You're showing them that you love them. And this is what we see in this passage in 1 John. It says that when we love each other, if we love each other, God lives us and his love is brought to full expression in us. What it's saying is God expresses his love to the world through us. Now here's the problem Because we don't understand how much we're loved, we tend to love people to the level we think they deserve it, and God's expression of love is never brought to full bearance in and through us. It's never brought to bear. Because we go, well, they're not a great person, so I'll love them to this level. And the whole time, God is trying to say, no, 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 no. they deserve love because I love them. I, I want to express my love through you, I want your life to be a Valentine card to them. And then we wonder why people aren't interested in church. And it's because I don't think we do a very good job of loving people sacrificially. We don't do a very good job of letting the love of God be expressed fully in and through us. And this is what he wants for us and for our world. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, Am I putting on display the full expression of God's love? Is my life a display of the full expression of God's love for others? Is the way I love people enough for somebody to go, whoa, God must love me because of the way they love me? Goes on to say in verse 17, so I'll skip down some verses. It says, and we live in God, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And then it says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. I gotta be honest with you. I grew up in a church culture where I was afraid of the day of judgment. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the day of judgment. Was there anybody else who was not looking forward to the rapture when you were a child? Cause you're like, this is gonna be terrible. He's gonna know everything I did. He's gonna tell me everything I ever did. I was like seven. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, I've been eating a lot of Flintstone vitamins. He's gonna call me a drug addict. I know. This is it. It's a problem. (laughs) I need him, man. It's gonna be bad, right? I was dreading the judgment of God. When I was a kid, I didn't understand the love of God. Because I didn't understand the love of God, I dreaded judgment because I didn't understand who he was in his heart. But as I've grown 
and matured, I, I don't dread that any longer. I'm not afraid of judgment because I understand God's love for me. And this is actually what it says. It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And that word perfect doesn't mean uh, pristine or without problems or like 100% grade on a test. What it means is matured. So as I remain in Christ Jesus, as I remain in God, what he does is he matures my ability to love. He grows my capacity, makes it more mature. Where now when I look at God and I think about God, I don't look at him as angry. I don't look at him as militant and he's just trying to squash me. He's looking for an excuse to keep me out of heaven. That's not the way I see him at all because God is loving. Is he a righteous judge? Absolutely he is. But he is loving. He is a good father. Um, it's kind of like we do, we do, uh, performance reviews here at Summit Church. And the first few years when we first instituted those, our team would be a little nervous. But now they've gotten used to them and they know, hey, I'm looking for reasons to celebrate a win. Like, we feel like we do them the right way so people don't dread performance reviews anymore because they know my heart. They know the, the leader's hearts here at our church. And this is what we have to understand with God. He is a righteous, holy judge, but he is a loving judge as well. We can trust his heart. We don't have to be afraid of judgment because he's a loving God. He says, we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Does that mean we live perfected? No. Fully sanctified? No. What it means is we love others really well. And as we love others really, really well, like Jesus did through the power of God, it means we don't have to be afraid of judgment. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's because uh, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. See, when we experience the perfect love of God, we understand who God is and we mature in that love. It makes it easier for us to love others. And when we love others really well, we're not afraid of judgment. It says we love because he loved us first as a response to his love. Verse 20, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. This is pretty direct. So if you say I love God but you actually hate people in your life, then you're a liar. You don't love God is what it says. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, the problem with us is we judge whether somebody is lovable or not, and then we love them to that standard. If we apply the standard we find in 1 Corinthians 13 and say, this is how I'm expected to love my spouse, my kids, my family, um, my enemies. God, I can't love that way on my own. I need your help. He will make it work. I mentioned John chapter 15, 13 to you earlier. I'll, I'll mention it again here. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The greatest love, according to scripture, is to love sacrificially. This is the way Christ loved us, and this is the greatest love that we can carry, that we can show, is a sacrificial love, where I put your needs above my needs. And this is the thing, that love is really hard to generate on our own. We need God's help to do that. We need the Holy Spirit to love through us. And I would even tell you this, that we can't love sacrificially until we truly love the one who loves sacrificially. 
I don't know how to love sacrificially until I love Jesus. Because when I love Jesus, I'm loving the one who truly, truly shows us how to love sacrificially. And he's the one who loves through me. I can't love my wife the way she deserves to be loved on my own. I need the Holy Spirit's help. I can't love my kids the way they deserve to be loved. I need the Holy Spirit's help. I can't love this church the way you deserve to be loved without the Holy Spirit's help. I definitely can't love my enemies the way they deserve to be loved without the Holy Spirit's help. So how do we love that way? Well, we stay connected to Jesus. So Jesus, I can't do this. I need you to do this for me. That's my challenge for you today. You know, we, we mentioned this verse earlier. I'll mention it one more time. It says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, as we prioritize him and his kingdom, the love that we have is perfected. It's matured. Our capacity grows. Our world is better. Our family is better. Our workplace is better because we love like Jesus loves Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts there in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. They're gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So for those of you here in the room, those of you that are watching online, there's really just a couple challenges I wanna issue, a couple questions I wanna ask you. And the first is this, maybe you're here today and you recognize the fact that you're not really in a relationship with God because you don't really love people. I mean, you love like the world loves. You love people who love you, but you struggle to love people. And maybe you recognize today, it's because I'm not really walking with God. I wanna give you a chance to respond. Maybe you've never experienced the love of God before and because you've never really experienced the love of God, it's made it impossible for you to love well. I'm gonna give you a chance to respond. Maybe you're here and you are a believer. Maybe heaven is your destination, but you recognize, oh man, I've got some people that have hurt me, that have betrayed me, that have done some things, said some things, neglected some things. And I'm carrying some hurt, some bitterness, some unforgiveness toward them. And I need the Holy Spirit's help to love them, to forgive them. I can't do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit supernaturally to love them through me. This is again, I'll say this again. It doesn't mean you have to be reconciled to them. It just means you have to forgive them. And it's not for their benefit, it's for your benefit. You will be better when you forgive them. You will be better when you let the love of God flow through you to them. And it doesn't mean you have to reconnect. It just means God's gonna shift your heart. So we wanna pray for you. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. <laughs> God, why do you love us like you do? It's, it is a mystery to me why you would love people like me. We are so flawed and we're so messed up and we so need a savior. And so I'm grateful for you, what you've done. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done, the work he's done on the cross. Lord, I thank you that you invite us to love people well when you dwell in us, when you live in us, we can love people really well. We also know apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, we're asking today, help us love people well. Help us love people according to the standard that we find in 1 Corinthians 13. That those 
Attributes of love would be resident in the way we love, not just the people who love us, but even our enemies. That God, those things would show up and that, that Lord, we would love this world in, in such a way that they would take notice, that, that your full expression of love would be on display in us. So God, work in us. I pray for those that recognize today that they are not really walking with you. They're not in relationship with you. I pray that today they would experience your love maybe for the first time ever. And I pray that that would change everything. So we got to minister in us in these next few moments. Now, nobody's looking around. Your head's bowed, your eyes are closed. If you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I know I'm not walking with God, but I want to be. I, I know I'm not experiencing the love of God, but I really want to. Because I know that's going to change everything in my life. I'd love to pray for you. And if you want to be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? If you say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I want to walk with God today. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know the love of God today. Would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, that's me. I want to experience that love. I want to know God today. I want to surrender my life to him. Okay. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, but I struggle to love people in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to help me love the way God loves because I can't do it on my own. I've got some bitterness, I've got some pain, I've got some things to forgive and I need God's help in doing that. Pray for me. If, you're, if that's you, would you put your hand up real high if you'd like to be included in that prayer? You need help loving people well? Yeah, a bunch of hands all over the place. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your honesty, I appreciate it. God, we invite you to the, do the work in this place you wanna do. God, not just in this church, but in these hearts, the people that responded today and say, I need some help. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to soften their heart. I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to help them forgive what's happened to them. Maybe it was harsh words, maybe it was abuse. I don't know what it was, but God, you do. You see them, you see their pain, you see what's going on in their hearts. And God, I pray that you would surgically remove bitterness and unforgiveness from hearts in this room right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would help us forgive what we can't forget, bring healing and wholeness to our hearts. And I pray that as we stay connected to you, Lord, your love is gonna be perfected in us and we're gonna be able to love well, not because we have the ability, but because you're loving through us. So God, I just pray wholeness for the people in this room. I pray that their hearts would be whole as they make a choice to forgive. Lord, as, as your spirit loves through us, God, I pray that, Lord, we would put your love on full display, that we would get out of the way, that we would understand that our hearts are gonna be better, our families are gonna be better when we forgive, when we choose to love where we don't feel like loving, when we love the unlovable, God. So God, I just pray favor for the people in this room as they go back to work tomorrow, and they go into hostile environments. God, I pray that you give them favor with bosses, with coworkers, with people they're coming in contact with. God, I pray for favor for teachers and students as they go back into schools. God, I pray that you would just give favor as we go back into these difficult situations and circumstances. And Lord, I pray again, you would bring, you'd bring wholeness to our hearts. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit would love through us. We submit ourselves to you and we invite you to use us. And I pray 
as submitted vessels, God, you would pour your spirit out in and through us to love our community really well. So God, we thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, here's what's gonna happen right now. Our prayer team is gonna join me here at the front of this room in just a moment. They're gonna be up here during this final song. And while we're singing this last song, we would love to pray for you, whatever your need is. There's nothing too big or too small. We would love to pray for you. And so if you've got a need of any kind, please find one of our team. Let them pray with you before you go today. Um, Any point during this final song or even after we're dismissed in a moment, we're available. We'd love to pray for you. And Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us. And as we're singing, our team will be available. So please step out from your seat. Let us pray for you. And then uh, in just a moment, he'll dismiss you and we'll be on our way. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we take off. But guys, uh, I mean this sincerely when I say it. I love you more than you know, and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next weekend for Memorial Day weekend. God bless you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.